0: Father, that is so um, that song is so our prayer, God. Uh, Father, especially as we we celebrate our nation uh, this, this upcoming week, Father, um, Father, we, we need you to heal our land, Lord. Uh, there, there's just so much division and so much strife and so much pettiness going on right now, God. And Father, we need you to heal our land. And the God, uh, I believe the way it's going to happen is when we the church Uh, just continue to live out uh, what you have called us to do, God. And that we give a vision for Jesus Christ and who he is and the change that he makes in our lives, Lord. And when we do that, I I believe people are attracted to that, Father. And so, God, uh, I do, I pray for revival in our land. God, I pray that many would come to know you, Father. And I pray, God, that you you would do that. You would bring that about through men and women who are just dedicated to, to praising you, to glorifying you and to uh, just being who you have called us to be. And so, Father, we, uh, we just thank you for this time of worship. And, God, we now thank you for this time where we can look at your word and see who you have called us to be, see who you have made us to be, and that you would help us to live this out. And so we love you, Father. We thank you. And we ask this in your Son's name. Amen. Well, it's great to see all of you. If uh, you can go ahead and do me a favor and turn with me to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12 is where we're going to be today. Uh, my name is Chris Ward. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. And as Jen said, we are continuing the series uh, that we started last week that's all about problems, problems that we all face. And uh, I do want to re- reiterate what Jen uh, said. You know, we have uh, so many amazing resources here to support you. Uh, we, we had some great stories come out of last week, but. But we know that there are some people who came forward for healing and didn't receive that. And you still want prayer and you still want support. And we want to do that. And so in addition to what Jen talked about, just so you know... Uh, we also have a prayer meeting once a month. It's held usually the first Tuesday of every month from 7 to 8.30 p.m. It's held in the Building for the Roadhouse, where our junior high school us- usually meets on Sunday mornings. Uh, it's not going to be held this Tuesday because of the 4th of July, but we're holding it next Tuesday, July 11th. Our next-gen pastor, John Irving, will be leading that. And so if you want to come pray, if you want to come receive prayer, uh, we would just love for you to be able to come to that as well. But we do want to come around side you, and we do want to support you how we can. So Luke chapter 12 is where we are today. Uh, I'm going to pick it up here in verse 22 of this passage, and I'm going to read it through its entirety, and then we'll do another little prayer, and then we'll see what, what God has for us. Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 22. This is what Jesus says. It says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens, they do not sow or reap, they have no storeroom or barn, and yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Verse 27, consider how the wildflowers grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. So sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Let's do a brief prayer. Father, this is is your word, God, and your word is, is living and active. And so, Father, my responsibility here this morning is just not to get in the way of that. God, to allow your living word to, uh, to, 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 to proclaim itself, God, and, and as a result of that, Lord, that we would be changed. And so, Father, I pray that, that my words would be yours here today. I pray that your Holy Spirit would take what I say, Father, what I hope you say, and, and apply it to our hearts, Lord, and, and we would live differently as a result of that. And we ask this in your Son's name. Amen. As I said, we are continuing the series we started last week called Problems, which is, uh, again, about the the major problems we know that are represented right now in our church. And ultimately, as I said last week, this series is not about problems. This series is about solutions. It's the solutions that Jesus himself gave to these problems. And today, uh, today we get to talk on a problem that is near and dear to my heart. Uh, There are a few things I will ever speak on in this church, men and women, that I am more of an expert on than the subject we're talking on today because today we get to talk about anxiety and worry and as I have shared several times from this stage before in my adult life, I, I have struggled a lot with anxiety. I have struggled a lot with worry and it's for that reason I'm really excited about today's message. I'm excited to teach you what I've learned in God's word about today's message and more than that, I'm excited myself to be able to apply what it is that I'm going to share with you here today. A couple of weeks ago, there was an article in the New York Times that really caught my attention. It was the title of the article that especially drew me in. The title of the article is, Prozac Nation is now the United States of Xanax. Prozac Nation is now the United States of Xanax. And what this article is all about is it's all about the epidemic, if I can use that word, it's all about the epidemic that anxiety has become in our nation recently. And one of the more disturbing things about this article is that uh, anxiety these days is now affecting younger and younger generations. In fact, according to this article, 26% of boys and 38% of girls between the ages of 13 and 17 have been diagnosed with some anxiety disorder. Uh, For anxiety these days, increasingly, it is becoming a way of life for many people. And I know that's the case for many people here in this room. I would say anxiety is second only to sickness and illness when it comes to the things that you all ask us to pray for on a weekly basis. Many people in this room, we struggle with anxiety regularly. And it's for that reason we are sort of drawn to this passage here in Luke chapter 12. This passage we're going to take a look at today, it's probably one of Jesus' most famous teachings. Uh, it's, It's probably for us Christians, for those of us who have grown up in the church, it's probably one of the teachings that we are most familiar with, that we go back to over and over and over again. And the reason why this is so popular is because of what this passage promises. It's because of what Jesus promises. And what does Jesus promise in this passage? Well, believe it or not, what Jesus promises in this passage is he promises a life free from worry. Jesus promises a life free from anxiety, and that's what you see in the very middle of verse 22 when Jesus says, quite simply, he says, do not worry about your life. Do you see that there? Jesus says, do not worry about your life. The Greek word translated worry there is a word that means to be distracted. It's a word that means to be divided. It's a word that means to be pulled in multiple directions. It's exactly the opposite of experiencing calmness and peace, and that's exactly what worry does to us, isn't it? It divides us, it distracts us, it it pulls us in, in multiple directions. And the amazing, almost unbelievable thing that Jesus says here is that we can actually be free from it. We can be free from this distraction. We can be free from this division. We can be free from this anxiety and worry. Now, think about that just for a second, okay? I want you to ponder that just for a second. Can you imagine what it would be like to live this life free from worry. Can you imagine what it would be like to live this life free from anxiety? Can you imagine what it would be like to wake up in the morning and then to go to bed at night, and between those two events, there is not a single anxious thought that you have. There is not a single thing that you are worried about. I mean, it does. It sounds unbelievable, doesn't it? It sounds like a pipe dream. It sounds like maybe the end of a Disney movie. But call me crazy, Because our Lord says that it's possible, because our Creator says that it's possible, I believe that it's possible. I believe what Jesus says here. I believe that we can actually get to a place in this life where we are free from worry, where we are free from anxiety, but I don't believe it just happens. I don't think it's something that happens overnight. I think there's some things that we have to do in order to overcome worry and anxiety in our lives. And as I was studying this passage, uh, I found two things that I think Jesus says we need to do in order to overcome anxiety and worry in our life. And if I could summarize them in two statements, I'd summarize it this way. If we want to overcome worry and anxiety, we need to learn to think differently, and we need to learn to live differently. If we want to overcome worry and anxiety in our life, we need to learn to think differently, and we need to learn to live differently. And that right there, that is my outline for this message. That's what we're going to unpack over the rest of this message here, what Jesus means by that when I say that. So let's begin with the first thing first. In order to overcome anxiety, the first thing that Jesus says is we need to learn to think differently. We need to learn to think differently. You know, as I've examined anxiety in my own life, uh, there's something interesting that I've noticed. Right now in my life, I would say that I am probably as, as settled, I am probably as stable, as I have ever been in my adult life. And I mean that from from an outside perspective. I mean that from a physical and a material perspective, okay? Financially, for example, my wife and I, we're doing fine. We have enough money to meet our expenses and then some to save and and to have a little bit of fun as well. Uh, Right now in our jobs and our careers, we're probably feeling as steady and as stable as we have ever felt before. Uh, Right now, there's some very positive things that are on the horizon for us. Obviously, our family is growing. Five months ago, we welcomed a a new child into our lives, and we're beginning to get a sense of routine with that, and everybody's healthy in our family. And so right now, I am feeling as, as settled and stable as I have probably ever felt in my adult life. And yet, despite that, I'm noticing something. I'm still struggling with anxiety. I'm still struggling with worry. I'm still finding things to be anxious about. And and maybe some of you have found that in your own life. Maybe you played that game that many of us play before, which is, you know, once this thing happens then I won't be worried anymore, then I won't be anxious anymore, once once I get a little bit more income, once I get that raise, once I get that promotion, then things will settle down, then I won't have to be worried, or, or maybe once I feel more steady or stable in my job or in my career, once I feel more steady in my family, once I get married, once we have kids, once we stop having kids, once the kids are out of the infant stage, once the kids are out of the house and into college, once the kids are out of college and out of the house a second time, once all those things happen, then I'll be able to feel settled, then I'll be able to feel stable, and then I won't have to worry anymore. And yet, we reach all those different milestones, and what do we find? Anxiety's still there. is still there. We always seem to be able to find something to be worried about. Well, the Bible gives an explanation for that. And the explanation that the Bible gives for that is, is because, believe it or not, anxiety and worry has very little to do with our outside circumstances. Though anxiety and worry is often fixated on our outside circumstances, like job and money and that sort of thing, at its root, at its source, anxiety and worry has very little to do with our outside circumstances. What the Bible makes clear is that the source of our anxiety is really nothing out there. The source of our anxiety is in here. The source of our anxiety is our mind. If you ever want to do a really interesting study, and I'm serious, this is an interesting study, read through Paul's letters in the New Testament. Paul wrote 13 books of our Bible, read through those letters that Paul wrote, and I want you to make note of every single time that Paul talks about the mind, or every single time Paul talks about thinking or thought or something like that, and you'll see Paul talks about it a lot. And what you'll see as you begin to study these verses and pieces together is what you see that Paul tells us is that when sin entered into this world, when Adam and Eve rebelled against God and and sin entered into this world, one of the biggest things that sin affected in our lives is sin affected our minds. It corrupted our minds, the Bible says. And as a result of that, as human beings, we are now prone, we are now predisposed to believe untrue things. We are now predisposed to believe lies. Lies about God, lies about ourselves, and lies about the world around us. And interestingly, the Bible makes it clear, Paul makes it clear, that coming to Christ does not immediately fix this. That's why Paul can say that the process of growing in the Christian life is a process of the renewing of the mind. It's unlearning these lies that we are prone to believe, and it's deciding instead to learn and embrace and believe the truth. Now, the reason I share that with you Is because as I was studying this passage in Luke this past week, I observed something that I never observed before. And that is that as Jesus confronts anxiety in this passage, he doesn't say to us, well the reason you're anxious is because your circumstances are not right, and if you could just get your circumstances to be a little bit better, pray to me to get your circumstances to be a little bit better, then everything will be okay. Then you won't be anxious anymore. Jesus doesn't say that. Instead, as Jesus attacks anxiety, you know where he goes? He goes to the mind. And what he really says in this passage, in the first part of this passage at least, is the reason we are anxious is because of these lies that we have been prone to believe, these lies that we believe. And if we could somehow choose to think differently, if we could stop believing these lies and instead embrace the truth, we will go a long way to overcoming anxiety. Let me show you where I see that, okay? Pick it up with me in verse 24 of this passage. Look at what Jesus says in verse 24. Verse 24, he says this. He says, consider the ravens. Now, stop right there. What's the first word of that verse? It's consider. What is the word consider? It's a thinking word, isn't it? In fact, the Greek word for consider has the word mind in it. So Jesus is going straight to the mind. He says, I want you to think about something. And what does he want us to think about? Continue on in this verse. Consider the ravens, Jesus says. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn. And yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Okay, so what is Jesus saying here? He's saying, I want you to think about the ravens. Now understand, in the Jewish faith, to the first century Jewish audience that Jesus is speaking to, ravens were considered to be unclean animals. And what that means is that no Jewish person would ever touch a raven, or they would be unclean themselves. So basically what that means is that Jewish people did not think very highly of ravens. They didn't like ravens. I am convinced that if Jesus were teaching this passage today, instead of ravens, he would say, consider the cockroaches, or consider the sewer rats, or if you want to stay with birds, he'd say, consider the pigeons, okay? He'd talk about these birds that we don't really, these animals that we don't really care about. And what does Jesus want us to consider about them? Well, what Jesus is saying in this passage is, listen, you don't really care about these animals. You don't go out of the way to feed them. You don't go out of your way to ensure their survival. We, we probably wouldn't be all that upset if some of these animals became extinct. And yet, despite the fact that we don't care about them, have you noticed that they always have something to eat? And if you notice that they always have something to eat, even though you've never seen a cockroach plant a, a seed before, have you? You've ne- never seen a, a sewer rat store something in a refrigerator, have you? They're not concerned about their long-term needs. They only live day-to-day. And yet, even though they only live day-to-day, they always seem to have enough to eat. Why? Jesus tells us in this verse. He says, because God feeds them. Because God feeds them. You see, these animals that you don't care about, God cares about. And so he makes sure that they have enough to live. Jesus says something very similar about flowers in verse 27. He says, consider how the wildflowers grow, or probably the more famous way to put it is, consider the lilies of the field. And the is, point is Jesus making about the flowers? Well, he says this, essentially. He says, have you ever seen a flower shop in Joanne's Fabrics? No. Have you ever seen a flower sit down at a sewing machine and begin knitting something? No. And yet flowers are dressed beautifully, aren't they? Why are they dressed beautifully? Jesus says in verse 28, because God clothes them. God dresses them. And with both the ravens and the flowers, Jesus is making the exact same point. We human beings, men and women, we are the crowning achievement of God's creation. We are the part of God's creation that God loves the most. We are the part of God's creation that God is the the most proud of, okay? And if Jesus takes care of the lesser parts of his creation, like ravens and cockroaches and sewer rats and flowers and so on, then why would we doubt that God would take care of us? But we do. And that's what leads to anxiety. You see, what Jesus is saying here is part of the reason we are anxious is because we have chosen to believe a lie. And the lie is that God doesn't care about us. Because we don't see God, we have determined that God doesn't care about us. And if you, don't, if you don't believe that God cares about you, if you believe that you are just left on this earth to fend for yourself, of course you're going to be anxious. Of course you're going to be worried. There's an old poem that just gets this so well. I love this poem. It's called Overheard in an Orchard. And the poem goes like this. Said the robin to the sparrow, I should really like to know why those anxious human beings rush around and worry so said, the sparrow to the robin, friend, I think that it must be that they have no heavenly father, such as cares for you and me. Part of the reason we are anxious is because we have chosen to believe a lie that God doesn't care about us, and that's what leads to anxiety. There's another lie that Jesus confronts in this passage as well, and that is a lie that we believe that we are in control of our circumstances, that we are in control of what is happening to us and what is going on around us. One of the the things I've also observed as I've observed my anxiety in my own life is I've observed that my anxiety is often my mind's response to, to feeling as though it's out of control. Anxiety is often my mind's way of trying to control what is ultimately uncontrollable. You see, we human beings, we love to feel as though we're in control, don't we? We love to feel as though we have all of our ducks in a row. We love to feel as though we, we know what's going to happen right around the corner, right around the bin. But there are sometimes we get to places in this life where we realize there's something that may happen to us that I'm not in control of. That I don't know the outcome of it. And when we face those sort of situations, our mind doesn't like it. And our mind begins to go in overdrive. And it begins to imagine, right, all these different scenarios that can happen and how we might respond in all those different scenarios. And that's anxiety. And anxiety is often our mind's response to feeling as though it's out of control and trying to control the uncontrollable. Well, you know what the problem with that is? We're never in control. We're never in control of life. Even when we feel as though we're in control of life, we're not in control of this life. God is. God is the one who's in control. I've always loved this verse in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 9. We'll put it on the screen. Listen to what Solomon says here. He says, in their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their step. In their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. We feel as though we're in control. In our hearts, we plan our course. But God is the one who is ultimately in control. God is the one who establishes our steps. And when we realize this, you know what we realize? We realize how pointless worry is. Because worry can't control anything. Worry does not accomplish anything. And that's the point that Jesus makes in verses 25 and 26 of this passage. Look with me there. He says, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? The answer is no one, because life and death is not in our hands. Life and death is in God's hands. And so since worrying can't do that, verse 26, since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Worry doesn't accomplish anything. The only thing that worry does is take away from the quality of our lives. The only thing that worry does is keeps us from enjoying what is going on in our life. On Tuesday of this past week, I got a piece of news that's that's ultimately not that big of a deal. But it is a piece of news that could affect me in some way, and I'm not entirely sure I would like the changes that it would bring to my life. And so as I was driving home from work on Tuesday, I was tempted to worry about this. But of course, Tuesday was the day that I studied this passage. And so I decided, I'm going to try to practice what I preach this weekend. And so I started examining this this worry that I had. And I realized just how many unknowns there were in this situation. This piece of news may not happen. It could happen, but it could also not happen. If it does happen, my worst-case scenario, my worst-case fear may not be realized. There are absolutely ways that could avoid the worst-case fear being uh, realized if this happens. And then I realized even if my worst-case fear is realized... It may not end up being as bad as I thought. I I may like some of the changes that it brings to my life. And since there are so many unknowns in this situation, I realized I had a choice. And the choice was either I can choose to worry about this for the next several days and weeks and months, or I can literally ignore it, literally just push it out of my mind and choose to deal with it when and if it becomes a reality. No matter what, it's either going to happen or not happen because God is in control of that the only thing that's going to change is the degree to which I enjoy the next several days and weeks and months. The degree to which I enjoy my life until that event either happens or doesn't happen. Worry doesn't accomplish anything because God is in control. And part of the reason we are anxious is because we don't believe that. We don't believe God is in control. And we don't believe that God cares for us. And I truly believe, men and women, that if you examine every single anxious thought that you have ever had, you can trace it back to one of these lies that you have chosen to believe. You're worried about finances? What are you not believing? You're not believing that God will care for you. Worried about a sickness or an illness? What are you believing? You are believing that God is in control and that worrying somehow can take control of something that is not controllable. You're worried about your children? who isn't worried about their children from time to time. I believe when we worry about our children, we're believing both of these lies, but we're believing them for our children. We're believing that God doesn't care about our kids, and we're believing that God doesn't have a plan in our kids' lives. You know, God loves our children. God loves our children even more than we love our children. And God has a plan for them. And the plan for our children is if they're not a Christian, God's plan for our children is to get them to be a Christian. If they are a Christian, God's plan for our children is to mature and grow them in the Christian life. And God is so committed to this plan that he will do whatever it takes to make sure it happens, even if our children have to hit rock bottom. I have heard from parents before that sometimes the best thing that happened to their kids is they hit rock bottom because that's what led them to Christ. And God is committed to that plan. Why? Why? Because he cares for our children. And when you realize this, guess what happens? Anxiety begins to disappear. Now listen, it's not easy, okay? This this learning to think differently, it's not easy. It's hard work. It takes discipline. In fact, I think anxiety is actually conquered one thought at a time. Paul in 2 Corinthians 10, chapter 5, Paul says this. He says that we are to take every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ. We are to take every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ. And I think that's how we conquer anxiety. Every single time we have an anxious thought, we have to stop it right in its tracks. And we have to examine it. And we have to say, what lie am I believing that is causing this anxious thought? And once we realize that lie, we have to expel it. We can't dwell on that lie anymore. And instead, we have to replace it with the truth, and we have to dwell on the truth. And if you've never done this before, it's hard. It's like training a muscle. And you may have to do it at first. You may have to do it every minute. You may have to do it every 30 seconds, in fact. But over time, as you begin to do this over and over and over again, you know what you are doing? You are retraining your mind. You are renewing your mind. And you'll begin to see that anxiety starts to disappear. And let me just say this, and this may be a little bit controversial in this church, and I may get some emails on it, but that's okay, I'm used to it. Some of us in this room, some of us may need some outside help in order to do this. Some of us may need some outside help in order to stop dwelling on these negative, untrue things and to start dwelling on the truth. And what I mean by that is that some of us may need to seek the help of a professional Christian counselor. Or some of us may even need to seek the help of medicine. You know, one of the things that has changing in the church, and I'm very grateful for it, is that for years there used to be a very big stigma when it came to the area of mental health. And that's changing, but I still am noticing that there is some sort of a stigma, especially when it comes to the area of taking medicine to help us in some of these things. And I've never understood that. Because listen, the Bible absolutely supports medicine. Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 5, he says, essentially take a little medicine for your stomach. He says wine, but wine was believed to have medicinal qualities back then. So he says, take a little bit of medicine for your stomach. So the Bible absolutely supports medicine. And many of us in this room would have no religious objections. We may have objections for other reasons, but we would have no religious objections to taking medicine for our kidney or for our heart or for our stomach if it's not working properly. Well, listen, the brain is the most complex organ in the body. Now, of course, it's the brain who tells us that he's the most complex organ in the body, so there may be a little bit of hubris involved in this, but I happen to believe him, okay? The brain is the most complex organ in the body, and sometimes the brain doesn't work the way it's supposed to. Sometimes it doesn't produce the chemicals it's supposed to in the same way that other organs in our body don't. And there have been some medicines that have developed to help us with that. And I don't see any religious reason uh, that we shouldn't explore those if, if that's what we need. I mean, I've shared with you a couple of years ago, I was experiencing panic attacks as I started teaching here on stage. And so I tried everything that we Christians try. I've tried to pray. I tried to pray against Satan. I tried to practice different techniques and thinking the correct way and breathing techniques and everything else. And I was still experiencing panic attacks. So I went to a doctor. He prescribed me medicine. Now, every time before I stand on the stage, I take some medicine. Honestly, I don't know if I would be able to do this if I didn't have that. I realize some of you may think that's a good thing, but I don't. And my family doesn't, because I need this. And so I have no religious objection to not do that. Now, I hope someday I don't have to do that, but I know today is not the day. And I have no problem doing that. And so I say all this to say this is a decision that you need to make between your family, between your doctor, between God, most importantly, But no matter what, we have to change our thinking. If we want to overcome anxiety, we have to change our thinking. But that's not the only thing we have to do. There's something else we have to do as well. And that is that we have to choose to to live differently. We have to learn to live differently. There's an interesting little point that Jesus is making a couple of times in this passage that at least initially may seem a little out of place. but, But I think it will become clear. And the point that Jesus makes a couple of times in this passage is he wants to get across to us that life is more than the physical, that life is more than the material. Look with me at verse 23 of this passage. Jesus says, For life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Jump down to verse 29 of this passage. Jesus says, do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things, and your Father knows that you need them. And what Jesus is saying here is, listen, life is more than physical. Life is more than the material. Uh, Several years ago, I went to a housewarming party of a close friend of mine. And this house that he and his wife bought, it was one of those beautiful, gorgeous old homes in Pasadena, right near the Rose Bowl, multi-million dollar home. And as I was at this housewarming party, my friend came up to me and he said, Pretty nice, huh? And he was referring to the house, and I said, yes, your house is beautiful. It's gorgeous. And he said this. He said, that's what life is all about, isn't it? And I said, what? (laughs) And he said, having a big house, that's what life is all about, isn't it? And I said, well, you know, I'm not sure that's what life is all about, you know. And then he said to me this, and he was as sincere and serious as you can get. He said, well, then what is life all about? He didn't know. He's not a Christian, obviously. He didn't know. And that was such a moment of realization for me. And the moment of realization for me was that for those who don't have God, for those who don't believe in God, life is just about the physical. Life is just about the material. And I don't know about for you, but for me, sometimes it's hard to live in this world and to not get caught up in all of that. To not start to believe that life is just about the physical and the material. And then to get caught up in the same game that the rest of the world plays, which is about more and bigger and better and so on. But if we get caught up in that game, there's a side effect with that game that we don't often realize. And the side effect of that game is anxiety. Why? Because the more that you have in this life, the more that you have to be anxious about. The more that you have in this life, the more that you have to be anxious about. Because the more that you have in this life, the more that can break down, the more that can fall apart, the more energy and investment those things need, the more that you have to lose. And so the more that you have in this life, the more that you have to be anxious about. Speaking of houses, I saw this five years ago when my wife and I bought our house. When we bought our house, man, there was a whole new world of anxiety that opened up for me that I never knew existed before. Because now I'm a homeowner. And what does it mean to be a homeowner? It means to own a bunch of things that can and will go wrong. It means to own a bunch of things that can and will fall apart. I I remember that first month we bought our house. We had to buy a new air conditioner. We had to buy a new water heater. The guy who lived before us didn't have anything on the windows. I don't know how he lived there. But we had to buy stuff for the windows. And then it took us, we had to save up two and a half months before we could finally afford to fix our master bathroom because that was broken. And now, in the past five years, we've had to buy new carpet. We've had to buy some new windows and some new doors. We've had to do some painting. And I know our dishwasher right now is on its last legs. It does not have very much longer left. And here, right, I've bought this hundreds of thousands of dollars house, and I'm having to pour tens of thousands of dollars into it to make it livable, to make it so that I can exist in it. The more that you have, the more that you have to be anxious about. And that's sort of what Jesus is getting across in verse 34 when he says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We naturally become emotionally invested in whatever we're financially invested in. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The more that we have, the more that we have to be anxious about. I am convinced that part of the reason we are the United States of Xanax is because we have so much. We're so stinking rich. And we take all this money that we have, and we invest it on ourselves. And we buy stuff for ourselves. And every single thing that we buy is another thing that takes our attention. It's another thing that we have to be worried about. And that's why Jesus gives a very interesting antidote to anxiety in this passage. And you know what it is? It's generosity. It's generosity. It's giving stuff away. Verse 33. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail. Where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. Jesus says you want to be less anxious? Be generous. Because when you're generous, a few things happen. First of all, when you're generous, you have less. Which means you have less to be worried about. Secondly, when you're generous, and I think the generosity Jesus is calling us to here is a generosity towards God's kingdom, towards these, those things and people which bring people into the kingdom of God, help people become Christians and grow and mature them in the Christian life. You, when you invest in those things, you get to see people become Christians. You get to see people learn and grow, and there's nothing more rewarding than that long-term. And then thirdly, when you're generous, Jesus says, you'll find that God always provides for you. You'll find that God always takes care of you. Verse 31, but seek his kingdom. And all these things, meaning all the things you need to live and all the things that you need to be generous, God will give to you. I know a a couple, Tanya and I are friends friends with a couple that that told us something that we had never heard before and we really, really lied. But this couple has decided that when and if they ever get to a place in their life where they can afford a nicer, newer, bigger home, they're not going to do it. They're not going to play that game, they said. And the reason why is because, according to them, and I believe them, the reason why is because as their income increases, their house payment's going to stay relatively the same, right? Which means it's going to be a lower and lower portion of their income every year, which means they're going to have more and more money every year to give away, to be generous with. And I think a side effect of that that they don't even realize right now is that over time, they'll see themselves be less and less worried, less and less anxious. It's completely counterintuitive. It's completely against what the world says. The world says, if you want to be less anxious, you need to have more. That's why so many people play the lottery, right? You need to have as much as possible. Jesus says, no, it's the other way around. He says, if you want to be less anxious, have less. Learn to live differently. I think, men and women, I think thinking differently, I think that will get us 60 to 70% of the way of, of, of being less anxious. But if we want to get the whole 100%, we have to learn to live differently. We have to be more generous. It's not easy. But it's worth it. I go back to the question I asked at the beginning. Can you imagine what it would be like to live this life without worry? Can you imagine what it would be like to live this life without anxiety? And can you imagine the witness we will have for our God if we live this way? Sometimes I wonder... What other people learn from us about the God that we believe in, when we are just as anxious, if not more so, than they are. I know a couple that uh, adopted a uh, four or five-year-old orphan from Haiti. And he was, he had had spent the first four or five years of his life in an orphanage, and finally, when he was four or five, they, they were able to move him over to the States And the first couple of nights after he lived in their house, they noticed something very interesting was happening. They noticed that food was beginning to disappear from their pantry. And so they did a search, and and they looked under their newly adopted son's bed, and, and, and that's where they found it. And they found that he had been taking food, and he had been hiding it under his bed. And the reason why is because in the orphanage that he grew up in, he didn't have loving parents to take care of him. And he learned from a very young age that if you wanted to survive, you had to fend for yourself. And that meant whenever you came across food, you had to take it. And the saddest part of the story to me is no matter how many times his parents tried to convince him, you don't have to do that anymore. We're going to take care of you. It took him a full year or two to stop hiding food under his bed because he couldn't believe it. He could not believe that he had loving parents now who were going to take care of him. And that story is really sad. You know, I can't imagine looking under the the bed of my son Lucas and seeing that Lucas has been hoarding food because he's afraid uh, as to whether or not his mom and dad is going to take care of him. I mean, how sad would that make you? And I wonder. I wonder if that's how God feels when he sees us worry. If when we worry, he looks at us and he says, Chris, 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 why don't you believe that I'm going to take care of you? Why don't you believe that I have a plan for you? Chris, haven't I proven myself over the the, the first 35 years of your life? Why do you doubt that I'm going to take you all the way? It is not without reason, it's not without reason that one of the number one images that God gives us in the Bible for our relationship with Him is the image of a father with his children. God's saying something by that. He's saying in the same way that you parents love and protect and care for your children. I love and protect and care for you. So when are we going to start living that way? I said it at the beginning. I I believe if Jesus says it, we can do it. I believe that Jesus says we can live without anxiety. And so I believe that we can do it. But it doesn't just happen. It takes taking Jesus at his word. I'm tired of my anxiety. I'm tired of my worry, aren't you? I've decided that I want to start doing this. I want to start taking Jesus at his word. And I want to experience the freedom that comes with knowing that I am a child of the Most High God. And maybe this week, some of you would want to join me. Said the robin to the sparrow, I should really like to know Why those anxious human beings rush around and worry so. Said the sparrow to the robin, friend, I think that it must be that they have no heavenly father like the one who cares for you and me. This week, let's prove those birds wrong, okay? Would you pray with me? Father God, uh, if if a philosopher said it, I wouldn't believe it. If a motivational speaker said it, I wouldn't believe it. If if even a very highly respected mentor said it, I wouldn't believe it. But God, uh, you said it. You who knit us together in, in our mother's womb said it. That we can live this life free from anxiety. And so I believe it. God, I I don't think it happens overnight. Not that you aren't capable of that. You can, and maybe you do that with some people. But, Father, I I believe that it's a journey that uh, for some of us in this room, it may take a lifetime. But it's a journey of thought by thought, recognizing the lie, and choosing to expel it and not believe it and embrace it instead, the truth. So, God, I, I pray that you would teach us and show us how to do that, God. And I pray, God, that we would learn to help ourselves out in that, by being generous, giving more away so that we ultimately have less to be anxious about, Father. That we would help ourselves out in learning to live differently. And God, above all, I just hope that you would help us to realize that we are your children, that you are our God, that you care for us, that you love us, that you have a plan for us, Lord. And that we would experience the freedom that comes along with that thank you so much God for your truth and God I pray that we would allow that truth now to transform us father we love you and father we thank you and we ask all this in your son's name amen